Welcome to the Multifamily by the Slice Podcasts with your hosts, Dre Evans and Ike Eke. On this show, you'll gain unique perspectives from investors and professionals on all aspects of the apartment investing space. Do you want to achieve legacy wealth and live a life of financial freedom? Well, all it takes is that first slice of wisdom to get you started on the journey to building your empire. Please subscribe to the show, leave a five-star review, and pass it along to a friend that can benefit from a slice of multifamily knowledge. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. What's up, folks? Back at it again, the multifamily about a slice. So um, we got two great guests today. This is going to be a little bit different. This is going to be our first couple on the show. We got Nate and Bethany Smith. Both of them bring a unique perspective to real estate. Nate himself, he's a 15-year United States Air Force C-130 Juliet pilot in the California Air National Guard. And then Bethany, she got her residential real estate sales experience being director of operations at one of the top sales teams in Utah. And then in 2019, she talks about how she transitioned into multifamily full-time and basically became a head honcho guru, underwriter, beast in analyzing properties in Southern Arizona, particularly the Tucson market. And so they talk a lot about relationships. They talk a lot about joint ventures, coaching and mentorship, vertical alignment through property management, and the importance of following up with brokers and deals. What did you take out of it, Ike? I mean, you said it all, and so did they. They came with so much knowledge, so much that, that they can offer to our audience in terms of uh, how to manage property because they manage all of their own properties themselves. That means that they hired the full staffs for all the properties that they, that they own. They talked about the relationships they built, how they built those relationships, how they approached real estate professionals, as well as owners that w- they were communicating with in order to buy their properties. I mean, the wealth of knowledge that is in this episode, it's, it's fantastic. I, I can't wait for you guys to hear it. I'm excited that we did it. I'm not much more to say than that, Dre. Yeah, I mean, we ran out of time on this one, man. Yeah. This, is, this is the first thing. I had so much. We, we walked away like, man, we, we need to do another, like a part two and, right? and with this because these guys have so much knowledge. And I do want to say, though, and I want to address this before we, before we jump into the show, like Nate kind of cheated on the vocabulary question. He used cash flow. And I was like, you know what? For the future, for our listeners out there, if you ever use the word cash flow in the vocabulary <laughs> section of the Giordano round, that is off the limits. Like he, he, <laughs> he threw that in there and I was like, you can never do that again. So oh, man. without further ado, let's get into the show. Let's get it. All right. We've got, you know, the amazing, you know, Nate and Bethany here. Nate and Bethany, welcome to the Multifamily by the Slice show. Let's just jump right into it. Tell us about your story, where you're from from each of your perspective and how you guys started in real estate. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having us on the show. Excited to be on here and just kind of share with the audience that hopefully add value, just have a great conversation. So a little bit about our background. I grew up military, so a military background growing up, joined right out of high school. So home is, I don't know, I've lived in like 18 different places in my lifetime. Most of my family is in the Midwest now. And yeah, so that's, yeah, just moved around a lot with that. My goal was pursuing flying for the military, made that goal happen. And on that journey, discovered entrepreneurship and realized I like working for myself and I, I didn't like working for somebody else. And so chose the guard, flying for the National Guard right now part-time. And it's a pretty easy gig for that side of things and allows us to really focus on our businesses and our, what we're working on right now. So that's my side of the story. I'll definitely tell you her side. I grew up in uh, Boise, Idaho. I was a homeschooler. We were both homeschooled, actually. And went to Boise State College, uh, dropped out halfway through to Mary Nate and moved across the country. 
to Georgia. Yep. South Georgia, a little, little different, a little different from Idaho, but, uh, my, my background professionally, I worked in education for a few years, got into real estate, residential real estate, worked for, um, one of the top teams in, in Utah in the Salt Lake area, Keller Williams brokerage for a few years, learned it ton about real estate through that experience. And that really piqued my interest to get, to get more so into real estate investing. We'll probably go more into it, but Nate and I house hacked our first investment property. And that really, really got us, you know, got our feet wet a little bit in the industry and, and really got us thinking, you know, this is, this is something that if we scale and, and do like multiple doors, it's going to be a real winner. So that's kind of how we started out. Wow. You know, people always say you have to take a leap of faith at some point in your life. And it sounds like you did it relatively early on with your big move out of Boise. By the way, I went to SDSU, so we're a little bit of a rivalry. I won't hold you, I won't hold it against you. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but that's interesting. And and you mentioned that you were in brokerage and agency prior to getting into an investing. And we've had a few agents and brokers on the show that also were investors. And quite frankly, and I know I don't know about you, Dre, but I'm very surprised that more agents and brokers aren't investors simply because they're so close to the investing world. And I'm sure that they it doesn't take much to realize how much gain you can get from actually owning the property as opposed to simply transacting. So what when how did that sort of light bulb in your head or that switch flick for you where you decided, okay, you know, I want to get on the investing side because there's there's a lot to be had in in that realm. Yeah, I think the the shift for us. So we kind of, we had a little bit of our own personal experience during the time that I worked for the residential brokerage. Nate Knight also acquired another single family home that we essentially house hacked, but it it operated as like a short term rental and rented out by the door. So it kind of acted like a fourplex. There's four bedrooms. Each bedroom we were renting out individually. So it kind of acted like a fourplex, and that really kind of clicked on the light bulb for us about the whole concept of having multiple doors, where if you have one tenant that's, that's gone, or, you know, you have a vacancy, then in that situation, you only have 25% of your property vacant versus hundred percent when you lose the one tenant in a traditional single family setup. So we had acquired that property. So that kind of got the wheels turning more towards, you know, the multifamily realm. And then in my job, we had, you know, we were servicing, of course, regular home buyers, first time home buyers, people that are just buying a home to live in. But then we also had a large amount of um, clientele that was buying investment properties. So smaller, you know, fourplexes, duplexes, things like that. And that really piqued my interest. I, I enjoyed working with those people. I liked how they thought about their purchase. I, I liked like how they were pretty non-emotional, you know, for them, it was about the numbers and the criteria and part of town that the property was located in versus on the transactional side, you know, buyers can be very emotional and, and, oh, I love this house. Oh, I hate that. I hate, you know, this, that, and the other. And, and you kind of get into the, the drama of bidding wars and things like that. So um, I just really liked how, you know, on the, on the investment side of things, you know, how that looked working with investors and got me definitely very interested in getting into commercial real estate. I won't lie. It was all part of my, my plan all along. So uh, we go back when we first got married, I had just bought a house. I had just joined the military, just finally got off base. Didn't really know what I was doing. I was like, oh, I should buy a house. I got a VA loan. Why not? So we bought, we ended up holding onto the house for I think six years. Never made any money with it. Cause every time we like be cash flow positive, we'd replace the roof, redo the, you know, something like that. So really realized really quick single family is not, necessarily where we wanted to be and the scalability is look there, but we saw the vision, like we caught the vision. So we had always had in the back of our mind, like real estate, you know, we attended a rich dad, poor dad, real estate seminar. We were always kind of like curious. And so 
when she was looking for work, I just was like, you should do something in real estate. Like you'd be good at it. And so I'm really encouraged into that space. Uh, at the time I was actively pursuing the flying opportunities in the military. So I was pretty focused on that side of things, but I was like, we're going to eventually do real estate in some capacity. And uh, so that was kind of the plan all along and it worked out nicely. And then end of 2019, we, I told her, I fired her from her job and uh, we would made her go full time in a multifamily shows. But After much <laughs> She kept talking about quitting for months before I finally, we pushed her across. But yeah, then, you know, you mentioned the 10X pin, big Grant Cardone fan. He was the one that really got us on the multiple door mindset. Six, you just explained how, you know, the, the simplicity between a single family and a 16 unit was like his, his minimum number. He's like, it's about the same amount of work. And a little, a little extra, but for the, re, for the reward, it's so much better. And uh, we just decided at that point, like, I know a lot of people think, you know, you got to do duplex. I'm going to start small. We'll do a triplex, things like that. And we were like, no, forget that. We're just going to go straight, straight into the multifamily, go for the big stuff. And we just said, the only thing that's holding us back between that, you know, from where we are at that point to getting into our first deal was just knowledge and, and meeting the right people. And so it's funny. I, I figured I could never get Grant Cardone on the phone to answer my questions, but just through social media, our now partner ended up popping up on Facebook, Facebook live talking about a deal he was doing and he had a group on Facebook that had 10x a part of it. And so I was like, Hey man, what do you, how do you do that? Like, we want to do that. And one thing led to another, he's like, all right, you got to go to this event out in, out in Tampa. We we're living in California at the time and uh, show up there. You'll learn, learn what you need to know and, and get the ball rolling. So did that six months later, we partnered up with him six months later, we got our first deal and just, yeah, it's kind of, and then we got two more last few months. So it's been going really well as far as that side of things go. It's been, it's been an adventure, but it was the idea of just multiple doors. We just decided we didn't want to have to, you know, spend a couple of years of like, oh, we'll start with the duplex and the triplex and the fourplex and like kind of do that stair step path. It worked out nicely. So. Nice, nice. I love it. And Dre, I know you had something you wanted to jump into, but before we get to that, I wanted to just give the audience an idea of what your guys' portfolio is now. So I know you guys started with with the the house hack and some of the smaller deals, but where are you at today? So we have a midterm rental in Utah, in uh, Arkansas. And that's what she was describing. Most of our tenants are there for like four to five months. And then we have three apartment pro- product deals in Tucson, 36, 50. 52 and a 40 unit. Yeah, 40. Wow. Uh, yeah, so we're, we did all JV deals on those. And that's kind of been our, our focus with deal acquisition. And it's, so far, that's been... Working out really well. We're also building and scaling our, our own management company as we grow as well. So we're vertically integrated, which means we own and control the management company. So kind of just started going through down that path and have been building it as, as we grow. But it's given us a really great opportunity to keep expenses down and then optimize income, find you know additional sources of ways to ways to you know grow that income. Yeah, we noticed that a lot of the bigger players in the game eventually do that anyways. So like we might as well just start now and not have to figure that out with and manage all that large scale stuff that you have at that point. I love it. Walk me through the first deal. So actually, let me backtrack. You mentioned doing the joint venture. So explain to our listeners first what a JV is, and then we'll dive a little deeper into your first deal. Well, on the JV, basically a JV is, it's a smaller group of, of partners. Everybody's actively involved. Most everybody probably either has a lot of either money in the deal or for our first deal, we didn't put any money into it, but we did everything else. Bethany did everything else. I'll let her explain how that part happened. But basically, it's just a smaller group of investors and everybody has an active role in the deal. So basically, it's a if you're familiar with GPLP and everybody's you know, in the syndication, it's basically get rid of the LP, everybody's a GP 
um, on the deal. And it's usually five, six, probably six is the max before you cross that line of doing to justify activity. Yeah. Tell us all about how we got the first deal because she did most of the lay work on that. Yeah. So one piece of advice I could offer is really to, you know, if you're setting out on this journey, focus hardcore on one market, you know, one area, whether it's your backyard or, or a place that you're really familiar with. But it took probably about, it took about eight months from getting in the industry to actually going under contract on our first property. It actually closed December 17th of 2019. So exactly two years ago, it was kind of fun. Memory popped up on Facebook today. If you're, if you're going to go down the route of, you know, contacting sellers directly, that's the strategy that I, I went down first. I was just finding that, you know, speaking with brokers, a lot of times, if you don't have that experience already, they may not take you very seriously or think you're as credible. So the conversations were pretty short, you know, what are you looking for? Okay. And kind of just felt like they were treating me like another, you know, tire kicker or another rookie or something like that. So um, I wanted to start developing relationships with sellers directly. And so just through a series of developing a database and making cold calls and doing some direct mail, eventually started forming relationships with some area owners. And then that first property, I made initial contact with that owner, I think in March or April, and he had a property for sale and it wasn't publicly listed, but he was like, Hey, come you know, you can come see the property. I'll have the property manager take you through on a tour. And, uh, and so I met her, saw the property, had a short conversation with him. We were too far apart on numbers. It wasn't going to work, but agreed to kind of stay in touch. And if we can exchange referrals or, you know, benefit each other in any way, let's do that. Okay, great. So we agreed to kind of touch base a few months later, which I did. It's really key to, you know, just stay organized and keep your contacts up to date and make sure that you're following up with people, regardless of what the business model is. You know, that's just sales and business in general. Good, good concept to keep in mind. So reach out to him in August and was just like, Hey, did that property of your sell? And if so, what, you know, for what price? I'm curious to know how that went. He's like, no, I, I actually still have it available and I'm more negotiable on the price now. So, Oh, are you? <laughs> so one thing led to another, we, we were still, we were still fairly far, far apart, but through negotiations and whatnot, he was much lower, much more amenable than he had been. So we were able to get a good working price, um, good offer price. So one thing I'll add to that in the beginning of that stage, the thing that really changed those conversations in the beginning, like she said, the beginning is this tired, you know, they didn't really want to talk to you because it's like, you're just like everybody else. Oh, you're new. I knew me trying to kick down, you know, trying to buy a deal in my town. But what changed it for, like she mentioned, you know, pick a market. I think that's really important, especially in the beginning. Like it's hard to manage like multiple markets and like try to manage all of that stuff going on. Pick a market that you like. And the second thing I would find is find somebody in that market that already owns property that will agree to partner with you if you find something. Cause that's, that changed the game because when that when we found our partner, we had the ability to do that. Now when we would pick up the phone or shoot pick up the phone, it was the conversation of, hey, we own property here and here. We're looking to buy more. And now they're like, oh, you closed deals in our in this in this town. Now we'll talk to you. And now we'll you know at least at least give you more than 30 seconds on the phone. Mm-hmm. So that was a huge game changer for us because you know, I'm not against the whole coaching side of the business. Like there's a lot of good coaching things out there, but what we tried that route. But we all, a lot of times your coach is not in the market you're in or they're like our coach was on the other side of the other side of the country. Yep. So it was more of a, you got this, like you, you can do it, keep making the phone calls, but it wasn't in the market. So, it, you know, we never, we really couldn't leverage that very strongly as far as like, like I just mentioned. So when we found that, found our partner, which ultimately ironically ended up being the guy I talked to on the Facebook live earlier, you know, that initially got us going in the right direction. So it's kind of funny how all of that worked out, but, but yeah, I think finding a mentor 
and finding where you can add value in that, in that relationship for us, for her, it was acquisitions. He had other things going on. He had the capital, he had the investors, he had all the experience. He just did not have the time to find and source a deal. So he's like, here's everything. If you find it, we'll do it together and uh, work out nice. Keyword is leverage. Yes. Mm-hmm. Leverage. Important word in business. Not mm-hmm. You guys said a lot of key things that I want to yeah, dig into. Definitely. And Ike, I won't let you get your stab, but I see you itching over there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you guys just mentioned one of my favorite words in the English language, and that is leverage. And in real estate and in most businesses, but real estate specifically, there are many ways to apply leverage to whatever deal you're doing or whatever project you're working on. The first and most obvious is money. You want to go to a bank and you know get a loan for 75% or 70% of your deal. That's considered leverage. Everybody knows about that one. But there are other components of the business that require leverage as well. In your in your guys' case, it was the leverage of current owners in the market you are in, you're looking to invest in, leveraging their knowledge, leveraging their experience and connections in order to use that to reach out to brokers and have those brokers take you seriously. In a syndication, like, on, uh, like Dre and myself have, have done, you're not only leveraging the mortgage that you're using to buy the property or your general partners that are, that are partnering on the deal with you, but also you're leveraging limited partners who don't necessarily have the time to go out, look for deals, get them under contract and get that thing to close and operate the deal. But they, they have the money to contribute to the equity side of the capital stack. So that's leverage in and of itself. And so when, when, you, when you said leverage and then you said it again, I, I couldn't help but jump in there with my two cents on why that's my favorite word. But go ahead, Dre. I know you had something too. <laughs> no, I would just want to talk about the, a couple of few things. And the first one was the follow-up. Bethany, you, you, the importance of following up and you might not always get the deal, but now you're top of mind because of the communication and the relationship and the network that you built with that broker and the the fact that you followed up again and then you were able to negotiate the price down. That's That was the first thing that stood out to me that you talked about the coaching. People have different beliefs about the different coaching and they, you, you talked about that, but I know that there's a couple of programs out there like the Mago Blanc, I believe that's like 30 grand and the Rock Relief. And there's a lot of different great syndicated operators out there that have expensive 20, 30, 40 grand programs. And I'm not knocking those programs, but me personally, I believe you that you don't need them. You don't need them. I think that you can do two things. Go to your local meetup in town and whether you invest in that market or not, you can carry those relationships in terms of the broad knowledge that you'll learn. And somebody always knows somebody. So you don't necessarily have to invest in that said market that you currently live in. And then the other thing is mastermind groups. Mastermind groups are cheap. It's 20, 40, 50 bucks a month. And all the connections that you can meet in there virtually is all that you would need to find partnerships, to find property managers and markets all throughout the U.S. That's just my personal belief. And I know a lot of people feel that way because some people might be money strapped and like, oh, I don't have 30 grand to just blow in terms of it's already hard enough they're trying to like build their business or gain knowledge. And now we got to pay 30 grand for a mentor who, listen, if I'm going to pay 30 grand, I better be able to call you whenever I want. (laughs) And then you can't even call them whenever you want. Like, it's like, you know, go do all the work and hit me up for 30 minutes once a week. I'm like, no. And and Dre, to add to your point and sort of circle back to the, the topic of leverage, when you're, when you're joining a mastermind or when you're joining a group that is supposed to help you get into this industry, you're leveraging the capital that you already have to sort of expedite that process because they're going to give you exactly what you need to know 
they'll set you up with coaches and mentors and contacts that may be able to help you down the line. So, you know, you're leveraging your money to do that. But also, if you don't necessarily have the capital and you have a little bit more free time, then you can leverage your time to learn that on your own. So, you know, there's there's many paths to get into it. And and like Dre, you know, I think that some people could use it. Some people, maybe they can't use it or, or it's not as good for them. But as long as you are making an effort, whether that be through your, your capital or through your time to learn what it takes to, to operate in this business and meet the people that'll help you along the way, you're, you're on the right track. And you you really love leverage. You I really back do. to it. He's like, oh, again, like <laughs> by the way, <laughs> just in case you weren't, you didn't know I love it. I do. So yeah. here we go. Brought it right back. <laughs> but uh, another thing that Nate said that I really loved was speaking of slices, right? That slice of the pie and you don't need the whole thing. And I think that people, I've seen this trend time and time again, speaking to other operators and, and that single family and multi-family, everybody wants the full piece. They want the full slice. And it's like, yeah. you don't need the full pie or whatever. They don't need, you don't need all of it. Like, especially when you're getting started, especially in multi-family when you're trying to scale, I don't care if you give me 3% of the equity, that's something. At least you did your first deal and that allows you to scale and gain knowledge. Like no one's gonna, even if you found the deal and ran all the numbers and did the due diligence, and even if you manage it, after the fact, why would I give you over 50% if I'm coming in with the cash? You know what I mean? So it's just like, I think people get greedy. And for my listeners out there, I want to say to you, don't get greedy. Just having a deal is better than having no deal at all. So just take a little bit of equity in the deal. And if you're doing all the due diligence for no money, and then you can invest. And and that also drives to your point too, to go straight to large multifamily, you do not need any money. If you find the deal, and you do the due diligence and you do the underwriting, which is also another way of saying, saying analyzing a deal that Bethany did, someone will give you the money. They will give you the capital and love to partner with you because if someone sees a good deal, they're going to partner with you. Even a broker, it's not uncommon for a broker to be like, man, that deal is so good. I'll give a piece of my commission or all of my commission into the deal. And you also see the same thing with property managers. Yep. If they see it's a great deal, they'll be like, you know what? Not only do we want to manage this deal, but we want to partner with you. If you give us a said percentage of the equity, we want to be in this deal too. And that's the power and the beauty of multifamily. It's so creative. It's so unique. There's so many different scenarios you can walk into. And we haven't even talked about seller financing. <laughs> that's that's a whole different beast and a whole different ball game. But I freaking love multifamily for that reason because it's just it's so flexible and it's and, and then it goes back into that idea of like just teamwork. Yeah, it's it's amazing. So Nate and Bethany, you guys mentioned that you manage your own properties, that you're essentially vertically integrated. Talk to our listeners about the process, the decision making behind that, and also the process by which you set that up for for the for the buildings that you own. Yeah, so it started. Um we kind of worked into it by default. So property management, generally when you have managers that specialize in like a hundred count and over properties, they kind of just have to be good. They're managing larger properties. Not all of them are good by any means, but they just kind of, they are required by the the size and nature of the asset to to be on the ball. When you get underneath, under a hundred units, it's kind of hard to find good management in that size range, at least in the markets we're in. And that's kind of what I hear from my other contacts around the nation that are also investors that it's just hard between like 
16 units to 100 units, it's hard. And then under 16 units, you know, you have a lot of single single family uh, managers that are really good, but that 16 to 100 units is just kind of awkward. So we had um, an onsite manager that has been in the business for over 20 years. That was really great at what she what she did. And we just kind of kept building that team as we brought on additional properties. So, you know, we'd hire a, hire a maintenance man or hire a, you know, pick, um, get another onsite manager plugged in if we need to. Long story short, just continually you know, small pieces building that team and uh, forming an LLC where, you know, all of us are owners of the, of the LLC essentially, but it all comes down to teamwork and finding the right people to put in the right seats. Every business is essentially systems and people. And once you have the system dialed in and, and um, you know, really good management program, there's several out there. We use Outfolio. It's been really great. We transitioned to that this year. Really thankful for that. There's a lot of automation that has come with that and made things simpler. Our legal team, we just, uh, attorney office, you know, they have some nuances, online platform, a, a, a notice posting service that they use that's kind of streamlined that for us as well. So just, you know, we're able to really think, you know, creatively about how can we, how can we make things more efficient? And um, that's been one aspect of the business that I wasn't entirely expecting, wasn't entirely expecting to get into, you know, forming our own management company and, and building that, but it's been really fun and such a, such a huge learning experience to learn all the ins and outs and nuances of the business. And so, yeah, that's, that's basically the path that we're on for that. And so... You know, one of the things that a lot of operators look at, especially during the underwriting period, is, you know, the cost of managing property X that's in, in market Y, where you're doing a lot of estimates, you're, you're looking at a lot of, um, you know, relative data and using rules of thumb. Do you find that being managers of property in the market where you're actually actively looking for deals, do, do you find it much easier to underwrite the next deal since you're sort of on the ground doing the day-to-day management? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And then we know, you know, the ins and outs of what should expenses look like. So, you know, on average, a water bill should be this much, this, this property, you know, their water bill is double what it should be. Well, then they have a leak somewhere, you know, pool pumping is leaking, toilets leaking, you know, something like that, or, or you're able to, you know, look at a PL or a financial sheet and, and, and you'd be like, where's their laundry income? There's no laundry income on here. So you just, you know, you're able to read between the lines. That's one learning curve. I think newer people, you know, are strug- will struggle with a little bit is kind of knowing what to look for that's missing, you know, what's not on this sheet that I can kind of, you know, read between the lines for, or, you know, lack of communication, or if you pick up a property that's, you know, that's got a really high uh, vacancy and a lot of vacant units, you know, why, why is it, is it got crime? Are they not marketing the units at all? Is it bad management that's, you know, cutting corners and maybe stealing or, you know, putting in tenants that they're not vetting and that sort of thing. So just really, yeah, it's been a great, great learning, you know, experience to just learn the ins and outs of the business and knowing what to look for that might be missing. What other things, factors do you look for underwriting a property aside from bad management, high occupancy or vacancy rather any other underwriting criteria that you look for in the Tucson, Arizona market? Yeah, without getting too much in the weeds, kind of bigger picture, the location's got to be really good. Now, does that mean it's it's like it's a class A or like creme de la creme area? No, but it's got to be a, a growing area. So 
Um, you know, like for in our market, for instance, the path of progression is basically coming from the north down. There's a lot of employers, new businesses coming in, you know, healthcare centers going in, uh, transportation, those sorts of things. And that's kind of coming from the north and moving south. And so all of our properties are on the north side of town. So while individual pockets may be a little you know, have quite a bit of room for improvement. Maybe there's some abandoned buildings, empty commercial, you know, buildings, things like that. The the path of progression is upwards and you can see the the small changes starting to be made, you know? So sticking to, sticking to a good, solid growing area is really key. And then I would say one aspect to really keep in mind is don't be afraid of the rough properties that are a little rough around the edges. It may mean that you need to factor in an underwrite contract security for the first 60, 90 days. You know, if it's a bad apple in a good neighborhood, that's 110% worth it, you know? So factoring that in. Yeah. And then, like I mentioned, reading between the lines and knowing what's missing. So, you know, laundry income, are they not collecting late fees? Are they not, you know, charging for pets and pet deposits, that kind of thing. Just knowing where, what you can, what you can add in is, is really key. Right. So we normally move into our second half of the show, which is the legacy round. And that's typically when you open up and talk about your favorite acquisition or networking, and you've pretty much already covered that. So we're going to jump for the sake of time, jump straight into the Giordano round, the last part of the show. As you know, this is the multifamily about a slice podcast, which alludes to Chicago pizza, the number one place being Giordano's and the Giordano was Italian is short for the flow of things. And so we want our listeners to walk away with a slice of knowledge. So it's going to be a series of four questions. Ike and I are going to go back and forth and we need you to answer them. So the first one is routine is key. Describe what a typical day looks like for you and how small daily discipline tasks will help you be successful. Yeah, I mean, definitely important. One area, it's one area that I probably need to work on more so, but, uh, you know, just the biggest thing is we just try to focus on is making sure we're taking care of ourselves first. So working out, you know, trying to focus on eating healthy, like really, that was a big, you know, thing we really focused on lately is, is as we're pursuing big goals and big dreams and things like that, we want to make sure that we're not sacrificing our health. So when we are, you know, we get not to not arrive and we get, start getting there, start, you know, want to be able to enjoy those types of things. So that's really been important for us. And we would find it, it helps with the mindset too. It keeps your brain sharp, keeps your mind sharp, keeps you in the right direction. And then from there, you know, from, from my side of things and what I'm involved with, it's just being consistent with, you know, checking in with uh, clients, checking in with uh, partners, checking in with, you know, opportunities, things like that, follow up, those sorts of things. But those are kind of my routines, but it's a little mm-hmm. bit different. But Yeah, I would say first, one concept I, I love and try to live by is controlling the first 45 and the last 45 minutes of the day. So that looks like personal development. If you're you know spiritually minded, spending time in the Bible, other books, things like that, having a quiet time where you kind of focus your mind on positive things and, um, and then taking care of yourself. Like Nate said, physically getting out and moving motion is lotion. So the idea of stacking some small wins early in the morning, like I feel so productive when I'm able to control my time, read, journal a bit, go work out, eat a healthy breakfast all before 8am. And then just able to really like attack the day, you know, and then at the end of the day to bookend that, being quiet and peaceful and again, working on like, you know, some personal development things, reading good books, things like that mean a lot and go a long way to just kind of keep that momentum rolling into the next day. That's one of the last thing that is just cut out the noise. Like it's the most important. That's the biggest routine thing we did. I can't remember last time I watched any news channel or anything like that. Like just get rid of all the negative stuff that the world wants to try to throw at you and distract you with. Just get focused on your goals, start yourself with great people that are going in the right direction. And, uh, 
you know, that's been the game, biggest game changer for us. Fantastic. All great advice. Jesus, man. And I almost feel like I shouldn't ask this next question, but I will. If there was one slice of wisdom you wish you knew when you got started or advice you could pass to the, to another who wants to st- uh, set off in a similar path, what would it be? For me, that would be controlling your environment. So we alluded a little bit of that needed to, you know, negativity and all, all the noise that can come at you, but just really kind of taking a step back and what does my environment look like? Do I have a, a physical environment that's encouraging, you know, growth and productivity? Is, is my desk organized? Is it pleasant looking in here? Do I have a nice, you know, background, things like that? Like that's, that's really key for me to feel like I, I want to, you know, be productive and, and do the work, but then it's also your relationships. Who are you surrounding yourself with? Are you surrounding yourself with people that are cleaning all the time, making excuses, being negative back, you know, backbiting, spreading rumors, talking ill of other people that's going to creep in. That's going to work itself into your subconscious and you're going to act the same way. So those are two, two big things for me. Yeah, and I'd say the biggest thing for me is just being, I would say, control the environment is probably the most important thing. Like one of the things that we've consciously done over the years is cut more and more things that don't serve the mission and the vision for our lives. And we want, and part of that mission and vision is impacting people, but you got to make sure you're putting yourself around people that are going to pull you up or that you, that at least, or force you to grow and, and not spend time with people that are going to pull you down. So, a little crabs in a bucket type of, type of situation that if you're not, you're trying to go big and you're not, you're still hanging out with people that aren't, aren't have that same vision as you do. You're just going to get pulled back in the whole, you know, who you, the, the five people you surrounded yourself with, that sort of mindset. That's been the game changer for us. And then also don't be afraid to shake hands. You're one relationship, one handshake away from your life completely changing for the better. You just have to be willing to stick, stick your hand out and say, Hey, what's up on me? What do you do? Absolutely. So it's so all less than a minute. What are your favorite or three most critical real estate terms multifamily investors should know and why? Um, I'll start with the first one. Asset classes, very key to know asset classes. So they go from A to D essentially and A being the nicest. So this is like your Taj Mahal properties, you know, trash belly service, um, resort style pools, stuff like that. B class, not quite so nice. Everything's functional, pretty modern. C class, everything's pretty... Pretty well functional, um, clean and well kept, but probably nothing too fancy. Usually have a common laundry facility, and then D class is those really rough, really rough properties, and probably not very well maintained, very low, low cost finishes. So that was pretty key starting off. I don't know, I'm not involved in as much as you are. <laughs> um, I like cash flow, so <laughs> cash flow is everything. <laughs> How much money is that thing making? Uh, <laughs> yeah, like a little mini grant over here. Man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, cash flow is important, right? You know, I think that's Grant is right on that point. Um, and it depends on your market too, obviously, but it needs to be positive in some capacity. So know, know your cash flow. Um, the more you have, the more, you know, we talk about leverage. Leverage, I think, is important, but not over leveraging is important as well. Especially right now, there's someone, you know, who knows what's going to happen in a couple of years. So, you know, having that cash flow is going to give you that, that cushion. And then lastly, I would say criteria. So it's more of a, a concept, but know your criteria, you know, know what you're looking for, know the areas that you're looking. I'll try to narrow those down, especially for your first one. I think the, the more focused you can be, it's really going to gonna benefit you as opposed to every shiny penny in every different market. Oh, I should look at this. And I should look at that. And I should look at, you know, mobile homes and storage and multis and all, you know. So as much as you can focus and stick to criteria, even for 30 days and, uh, you know, and try that and go full bore into it. But yeah, know that in and out. I know it's supposed to be a quick round, but 
I can break the rules. I'm a co-host, so that's fine. <laughs> I think that that, that is a, a fantastic piece of vocab, even though it's, it's not your conventional vocab, like cash flow or like asset class. But knowing your criteria is so important because when you communicate with brokers or agents and you don't have your criteria nailed down, that's the first sign to them that you're just a tire kicker, that you don't really know what you're, what you're talking about. Because if your criteria is too broad, then they're going to they're gonna have to send you everything. And no one wants to see everything. Everybody is, is trying to buy one or two properties at a time usually. So knowing your criteria is so important when you're getting started, especially because that helps a broker know that you're serious, that you've done your research and you know what you're looking for. So I'll, I'll get to the next question after that though. Education is critical in this business. What books or mastermind groups would you recommend readers immerse themselves in in order to learn? Book-wise, the best book that I think I read initially to get started was the Best Ever Syndication book by Joe Fairless, because it is literally like step-by-step on everything. I think it's probably one of the best just overall books to read. As far as masters, I mean, I, I like going to the conferences. Rod Cleese conference is good. I've heard great things. This is the one main one we've been to, but I've heard great things like Jake and Gene, all those folks. The conferences are great for networking, meeting new people, you know, making those contacts. And learning Being, that ground floor education too, yeah. where you learn that vocabulary yeah. and... Mm-hmm. In the whole process, that's really key to learn that foundationally. Yeah. I really enjoyed Grant Cardone's uh, online course. <laughs> it was really good. I don't want, but what I have to say is I got into it like super cheap. Like it's like wicked expensive now. So I wouldn't necessarily recommend it now. If I got it for like a few hundred bucks, you get some crazy deal going on back in the day. But Rod's courses are pretty good. But again, the biggest thing is just there's so much information out there. It's free. Podcasts are great. Books are great. There's so many opportunities to get the basic knowledge down before you jump, especially before you jump in any sort of program, like get the basic, get an idea of like what you really want before you, you spend the big money because we've spent the big money and I don't recommend doing that. Nate, you surprised me. I thought you were going to say the one of the Grant Cardone books, actually. It's a good book, but it's kind of, Joe Ferris's book, way better. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. I agree. Is that, that is probably the best syndication book on the market. Yeah, that's funny you called it that. <laughs> yeah, there's, I don't, there's any other book like that. No, it's, yeah, that, that was the primer. We had the thing marked up, highlighted, you know, tabs. Uh, it was, it was probably the most important book we read, yeah. and, you know, get started. And I would, a good point about podcasts. I, I remember listening, like absorbing podcasts more than any other mode of communication, really. So listen to a lot of podcasts and learn a lot from them. Yeah, and I would, one thing I'll add that because in business, whether it's real estate or investing, whatever it is, your mindset and your personal development is super, super important. So like a big one for us and big one for her a lot was Ed Milet. He has a lot, if you, especially if you go back to his older stuff on his, on his YouTube, like the mindset stuff and the stuff that keeps, that keeps you doing the things that you need to be doing, working on that. And also just how you deal with people. Like Bethany mentioned the other day, I'm like, so glad I've been in a personal developer for a while because she's just, you know, dealing with dynamics of different types of different types of people. Like, you know, we have onsite managers, very different mindset than dealing with, you know, an investor, like, you know, and so aspects of that are really, really key is, you know, we, we tend to think about, okay, what do I need to do about the real estate, but the intangibles and your skills that you need to, to be able to handle those different situations, I think are important to, to not forget about. Love it. How can multi-feeling about a slice of listeners best get in contact with you, Bethany and Nate, and learn about the service you provide. You didn't even talk about your financial I know what service, another business. episode or something. I'm like, seriously, another episode <laughs> about that. But go yeah. ahead, go ahead, pitch us though. Well, the reason we got, reason we have two businesses, we found out real estate was 
great for long-term wealth generation building, especially in the multifamily space. It could take a while to really get the income coming in to support your lifestyle. And so we would, we needed to find a business that we could build and scale that would produce the cash flow and the stability and really become an asset that will continue to pay us long-term. And so we found a great business with coming out world financial group. It's been a game changer for us, but it's allowing us to build some an asset there, which will produce the cash flow to also support our real estate goals. So we, we like the flexibility and the ability to do that. So, but to get a hold of us and to find us, um, so Instagram is probably the best place to first, first place to go over here on one stop shop. I'm at the real Nate Smith and she is at Bethany underscore AKA underscore B. I was going to say to your cash flow couple at your cash flow couple on Instagram, your cash couple.com goes to a call link. We're also on, we have a Facebook page. So that might be the easiest like one stop shop. Oh, I love that. Your cash flow couple. That's I cool. love that. Yeah. I really love that. Well, thank you for being on the show. Again, I'm your host, Dre Evans. Feel free to, you know, add me at Dr. Multifamily on Instagram. Uh, You'll find me there posting a lot of content about multifamily and just mindset and growth. And Ike, what you got for us? Um, Thanks again, Nate and Bethany. This is an incredible episode. I'm sure we're going to have you back to talk even more because I know we we can squeeze a little more more out of you. So, (laughs) you know, keep, keep near that phone for that phone call. But in terms of social... I'm lucky enough to have a very unique name. So if you search it, you'll find me, I-K-E-E-K-E-H. On Twitter, underscore I-K-E-E-K-E-H. On Instagram, not hard to find. We'll love to to connect with anybody out there. Fantastic. Thank you for having us. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Multifamily by the Slice podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Lastly, check out the show notes for links to topics discussed, as well as website and social media links for Dre, Ike, and our guest. See you next week.